Looking for a new show to dive into? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like the full season of FX's epic limited series Shogun, FX's new international spy thriller The Veil, starring Emmy and Golden Globe winner Elizabeth Moss. And don't miss the all-new crime series Under the Bridge, inspired by shocking true events and starring Riley Keough and Lily Gladstone. It's all new, and it's streaming now on Hulu. Capella University is rethinking higher education. With their game-changing FlexPath format, you can earn your degree on your schedule so you can fit education seamlessly into your life. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, is a man who knows that strange things are afoot here at the Circle K. Here is the captain. I know that the garage studio smells like a foot. It's good to be seen, and it's good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. Today we are sipping on an IPA called True Believer by Twin Elephant Brewing, and any longtime listener of our little garage show knows that I love a little fruit to cut the bitterness of an IPA, and True Believer is a great IPA with honeydew, grapefruit, and a little hint of cantaloupe. Garage grade four and a quarter bottle caps. And here's a cheers to some of our true crime garage true believers. First up, a big thank you to Noreen in Highland Hills, New York. And a big shout out to Caroline in Stoneham, Massachusetts. Next up, Captain, we have Vanessa in St. George, Utah. And a big shout out to Taylor in Fort Worth, Texas. All right, Captain, we have Christy in Hillbillyville, Pennsylvania. That sounds mm-hmm. made up. That's where I went to high school. Right. That sounds made up. <laughs> not not unlike our parts unknown where we live. And last but certainly not least, a big cheers to Spencer and Houston, Texas. Thank you to everyone for contributing to this week's beer fund. Yeah, we couldn't do it without you. And if you'd like to support the show and get something in return, go to truecrimegarage.com and check out our store page. And that is enough of the business. All right, everybody, gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime. very fascinating case on our hands veronica is missing and pretty quickly we have a very suspicious suspect in her boyfriend jeff well where we left off veronica bloomers has been missing for 14 years by this point the mendota police department gave veronica's family access to her case file and in that file it contained a report that veronica's boyfriend jeff in an interview, made strange statements and threw out some concerning hypotheticals mm-hmm. that basically added up to Veronica was hurt and killed and placed somewhere that no one would find her. And there were reasons why Jeff could be responsible for this. Again, this is Jeff's statements after hours of being interviewed with no recording of any kind to back any of this up and all in a report written after the interview. And the case file report went on to state that according to people who knew Jeff, after Veronica vanished, that Jeff voiced two theories he liked to share about what had happened to Veronica. 
The first was that he thought maybe she went to track down her birth parents and they were not happy about this and they did something to her. The second theory was that perhaps an ex-boyfriend had hurt her because he was jealous and the ex decided if he couldn't have her, no one could. This is all a bit strange to me here, Captain, because let's let's pretend for a second that Jeff is perfectly innocent. Mm-hmm. The theories don't seem to be, they don't seem to carry water very well, do they? Like the first one of her tracking down her birth parents, again, I'm getting the impression time and time again with Veronica that she is an open book. Her family knew what she was up to, what she was into. Her coworkers were always told what her plans were. Yeah, and question, who took her to find her parents? She left her car. Like, if her car was gone, maybe that's somewhat of a plausible theory. But you also leave at 1 a.m. in the morning to go find your birth parents? Just doesn't make a lot of sense. Right, poor timing. And... To top that off, look, maybe she didn't want to hurt her parents, her adopted parents' feelings for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. But again, this is a unique situation where she has an older sister who's adopted as well. She could have bounced this idea off of her. Mm-hmm. And they were close. And I don't see why she wouldn't. And then to take it a step further, why would the parents decide to hurt her and do something terrible to her? Yeah, it makes no sense. Wouldn't you just say, go away? You know, we don't. We don't have any life with you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that. So that doesn't seem to carry much water, but then you do have the ex-boyfriend theory. Maybe that is something that, that Jeff was, was right about. Well, and this, okay. So the story goes that she dated this police officer. He became chief and they only went on a few dates and he was kind of possessive and was also like saying, well, maybe you should, wear this outfit or wear these types of clothes. So it, it, it ended as quickly as it began. Mm-hmm. So, and there's no evidence that after they broke up that this guy was in the picture anymore. Right. Right. So I do like the theory of maybe an X or something of that nature. But again, then you have to wonder, is this just Jeff coming up with alternative Theories that do not involve him being the bad guy. Mm-hmm. But he also came up with some theories that he is the bad guy. Well, maybe I thought she was pregnant. Maybe I pushed her. Maybe I hit her. Uh, so much so that they looked at his family's property. Mm-hmm. They did not find anything. Now, I believe that Jeff took a lie detector at some point. Yes, he did. So what we have here with the possibility of any of Veronica's exes. According to her family, she did not date anyone as seriously as she did Jeff and remained friendly with most of the guys that she was no longer seeing. Mm -hmm. Three guys, in fact, were interviewed. They all had alibis and two passed lie detector tests from what I could find. The investigators considered Jeff the target of their investigation From what we have been able to gather, Jeff agreed to take a lie detector test. The results have not been released to the public, but Veronica's father said in an interview that Jeff failed miserably. Yeah, (laughs) he he did as well as OJ did. (laughs) Police conducted a search of Jeff's family's property. They followed him on a daily basis Before too long, Jeff lawyered up and stopped cooperating with police. He has made only one public statement, which was, quote, I have been told not to say anything, end quote. In September of 1991, so more than a year after Veronica disappeared, Mm -hmm. police dogs searched Lee County farmland that was owned by the Veverka family on Maytown Road with cadaver dogs. But again, found nothing. Yeah. Because Jeff stopped talking to police and nothing has been found that connects him to Veronica's disappearance, he has never been charged or even named as a suspect or a person of interest at the public level. Right. But he also hasn't been cleared. 
So I think that's something. Now, a lot of people go, hey, big red flag, he failed this test. We don't know, obviously, if that's true. I think if there was information given to the father and he's saying that he failed, I believe that. Seems like the father's a stand-up guy. But the red flag for the family is that he lawyered up. Now, I'm actually going to go against the family on this one because we have an individual that had an accident, has issues with memory loss. He seems obviously a little unhinged by the whole situation to the point where he is actually making up scenarios that don't involve him, but making up scenarios that do involve him. Hmm. At some point, you have to protect this individual if this is your family member. Well, right. And if the hours long interview, again, I take a lot of what I've been told was said in that interview with a grain of salt, but if maybe the hours long interview unnerved him so much that either he's guilty and he lawyered up or he's perfectly innocent and he's just feeling like I'm really uncomfortable. They're trying to put this thing on me. Mm -hmm. I need to protect myself. And I do want to champion something you said uh, just a minute ago in regards to the father's comments about Jeff and his lie detector and failing miserably. I I feel like you feel. Her father seems to be a stand-up guy, a very honest guy. He does not strike me as the type of person to say something just to say something. He doesn't strike me as the type of person to say something unless he believed it 100% to be true. And as you pointed out in yesterday's episode, he had friends. He knew some people at the police department. He was very likely behind closed doors told that information. And he's saying this years and years after the fact, he doesn't even strike me as the type of dude that is saying it just to throw Jeff under the bus. No. So I absolutely believe that if Jeff in fact failed it, that, that information probably found its way to Veronica's father, Paul, and he's saying it decades later in an interview. Well, in the normal situation, I'd say, because I like lie detectors. I know we can't use them in court, but I like it. I think it gives us a, a barometer. So I don't think we've used the word deduce yet, which I think we, by law, because we're a true crime podcast, we have to use the word deduce. But what we can deduce from this also is, or what you can't deduce from it, is what is his capability of passing the test anyways if he has short-term memory loss issues because of his accident. Yeah, and not only has he not been cleared, as you said, but it also appears that he became the focus of their investigation and remained the focus of their investigation for many, many years to come. Mm -hmm. The case file also reflects a police theory of what they believe might have happened to Veronica, in which it says that she got into a vehicle with someone she knew, person unnamed, some type of argument ensued, and she got pushed from the vehicle, suffering a fatal or near-fatal injury, And then the driver of the car then hid her body in a panic. Mm -hmm. It's weird that they come up with that theory, not because it's unlikely, but because it also kind of echoes some of the things that officer John P was saying he was able to pull from Jeff during his interview. Mm. Naturally, police also looked at anyone who could have followed Veronica home from work that night to see whether someone else could have harmed her. I think we're going to get to the guy that I got a little gut feeling about. Female employees at the SuperValue told investigators that a guy who tended to loiter inside the store and flirt with female employees may have been in the SuperValue that evening during Veronica's shift. Sharon Vandiver, Veronica's friend, said this guy often came in between 9 and 11 p.m., two to three times a week, and he rarely bought anything other than something small and cheap like a pack of gum. Most of his time in the store was spent talking to female employees. This 
obviously including Veronica. Mm -hmm. He creeped out the women who worked there. This guy also bragged to the female workers that he was an EMT or some type of security guard. Cops looked at this guy. I could not find his name, but obviously they know who he is. But he is said to have had an alibi for the evening of September 19th and 20th. Yeah, but here's what I don't like about this. This is also a guy that's rumored. I don't know if you found this, but he they're like, well, we don't know where he was at that night. But there was rumors by the the people that she worked with, Veronica's co-workers, that say that the guy came in the next night asking about her and stating which movie she rented the night before. How how would he know that if he wasn't in there that the night before? Right. And, or let's say maybe he was in there the night before, mm-hmm. but maybe his alibi, his alibi only needs to be good from 107 AM and on. Mm-hmm. So he could have been in the store before. Maybe they had that conversation. I'm with you. I don't think it's very likely that that conversation took place. I think it's suspicious that he would know that she rented a movie one and be so inclined to even say what the name of the movie was. Well, not only did he have a history of talking to, you know, people in the store, an extensive history of talking with Veronica. Mm -hmm. And I think she had such a nice demeanor that this individual probably didn't creep her out. She probably enjoyed a little bit of the attention or maybe just thought he was being friendly. The other thing that's tricky too is I've heard people say that he was going into the store two or three or more times a week up until the disappearance of Veronica. And afterward, he really backed down on the number of times that he was going into the store on a weekly basis. Right. Which would lead you to believe that the motivation for going into the store was Veronica. Mm -hmm. Be it good or bad. Police also questioned an 18-year-old man who stopped at Super Value on September 19th, this to pick up a few items. Veronica was his cashier. He checked out at 11.49 p.m. This guy told police that while in the store, he heard Super Value employee Jason Stepanich, also 18 years old, telling Veronica he'd be back to pick her up at the end of her shift. But both the customer, this this is a confusing part in the story, so I need you to follow along with me here, everyone out there in listener land. But both the customer and Jason denied that this ever happened. Mm. Okay. Mm. So frankly, speaking here, Veronica had her own car at work. We know that. Nobody's arguing that at all. Why would she need anyone to pick her up at all? It doesn't make any sense. The customer said in the Jim Haggerty series series that this is absolutely not true. He never told the police any of this. So this is just some made up report that they have. He says, hmm. he says, I'm guessing they fabricated that into the report because I never said that. There was nobody else in the store besides two employees and me when I checked out. I don't even know who that is, referring to Jason Stepanich that we mentioned earlier. Right. Jason, for his part, admitted talking to Veronica, but denies telling her he would return for her to pick her up. Mm -hmm. Both of these men, you like the lie detector test, both of these men took polygraph test and were later cleared. Okay. Per the police report, it says, quote, Jason stated that he did talk to her, but does not remember saying anything like that. Mm-hmm. So this doesn't really help clear anything up. These potential suspects did not go anywhere and failed to lead to any clues about what happened to Veronica. The problem I have with this statement is you have police saying in the case file, this customer overheard another employee say to Veronica, he would return later to pick her up. And then you have both of those individuals going on the record and telling the media and the Blumhurst family that no, 
neither one of I didn't say that I heard this employee say that he was going to pick her up. And the employee says, I never told Veronica I was going to pick her up. Why is that in the police report? Why is that in the case file when both of these witnesses say this did not happen? I have a word for you. Can you say conspiracy? It makes me question the interview with Jeff even more. Is there somebody adding or manipulating things that go into the file for their own benefit? Well, hold on. The reason why I I do not like how it went down with Jeff and how they, you know, set down days after and said, let's write down those statements that he made. That doesn't work for me. But we also have people talking and saying that they, they talked to Jeff and he was coming up with theories and even putting himself into those theories. So it doesn't seem like they fabricated the whole idea. Well, we need to be clear here because that the people are saying the theories that he presented to them did not include Jeff as being, having carried that out. Well, see, I, I thought there were some people saying that he wasn't making full theories, but he was saying, what if I got mad at her and pushed her or what if those were the theories that he told to the police? So those, in that were, never, interview. So those were never told to other people. Cause I, from what we just reviewed, it's, it's, he told police according to the police file again, right. according to the police file, mm-hmm. he told officer John P in that closed door interview a hypothetical that he could have killed Veronica in an argument and maybe it, uh, that she was pregnant or maybe she wasn't right. It was several different versions of that same story, but the people in the case file that are cited as saying Jeff is spouting off theories about what happened to Veronica. He's not including himself. Right. I, I thought I heard from her family that he was, maybe not given full theories, but it was maybe we got in an argument or maybe I did pick her up. I, I thought that was said to the family, but I, I could be mistaken on that. It's difficult because we later have the statements of another individual and I believe that they remain nameless, but uh, we'll, we'll continue through that before we get into that. I just want to talk about the difficulty of collecting DNA in a case like this. If you recall, Veronica was adopted by the Bloomhurst. She was not in contact ever with her birth parents and neither were Paul and Betty Veronica's adopted parents in the interest of having Veronica's DNA on hand in case a body was found. And for evidentiary purposes, should there be a suspect investigators collected some of her personal items from her parents. As we shall see, that did not go as planned. And after time passed, the availability of Veronica's DNA was significantly decreased as items that she definitely came in contact with were harder to come by. Attempts were made by authorities to unseal Veronica's adopted adoption papers, but the Catholic charity that handled the adoption refused. Okay, so what does this mean? There's a couple different versions of the story, whether the parents willingly gave this stuff to police and investigators or if the police collected it, whatever. Nobody is arguing that they had it, that the police had it. Forget about how it was obtained, but they all agree that police had items that could have contained Veronica's DNA, very likely could have contained her DNA. Yeah, one of the things that the father did was he took their bed sheets, her bed sheets, and gave it to police. So what we learn after all this time is that those items have magically disappeared. Yeah, and this is where it gets a little tricky for me is they claim, well, we moved buildings and that's how we probably lost it. I think these are good cops years later trying to come up with an ex- explanation of what the bad cops did Hmm. because they would have been moved out of that one building 
it would have all been sorted out by the time she went missing. So I think it's good cops looking back on going, how, how do we not have these bed sheets and evidence? Well, it must have been when we're moving stuff from this building to that building and things probably got lost. What that means at the end of the day is they do not have her DNA on file. Mm-hmm. So if a body who is that has been hidden for 30 years is recovered or a body that was hidden for five years, 25 years ago and, and uncovered, if they cannot look at the remains and go, yep, that's Veronica, there is no DNA to test to confirm if it is her or not. That's a very big problem for this investigation. Now, let's go to the glass half full end of it and report this. It has been stated that Veronica had extensive dental work, which could be used to identify her, but that means her skull has to be found. The records have been added to the national database. So we do have dental records for Veronica. Again, no DNA, which really freaking stinks. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners, get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com slash garage. Visit IXL.com slash garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com slash garage today. The best part of spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. It's kind of like when you find out that you've been paying a fortune for wireless. When Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. Save a lot of money with Mint Mobile. Get their great mobile wireless service delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. That's premium service at a great price. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash TCG. That's mintmobile.com slash TCG. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash TCG. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. 
New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no-prep, no-mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious from breakfast to dessert. Stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need to pack a lunch, and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month. That's code truecrimegarage50 at factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. All right, we're back. Cheers, you filthy animals. We've touched on the frustrating lack of evidence in Veronica's case. No evidence to lead investigators directly to a suspect. This case went cold and remained so for years and years, decades, really. Mm -hmm. Despite the lack of movement, Veronica's brother, Todd, continued to campaign to find his sister. He created a website dedicated to her and started the Facebook page that gathers information and has directly challenged the manner in which the investigation was conducted. He also engineered searches of the nature preserve and other areas. Unfortunately, Todd died in 2013 from a rare genetic cancer. He died believing that the boyfriend, Jeff, killed his older sister and never giving up his fight to find her. Todd's mission to find Veronica has been taken up by family friend Doug Truckenbrod, who was designated the Bloomhurst family spokesperson. Here's where the case gets interesting. Doug lived across the street from the Bloomhurst as a kid, and Doug is in some ways also a potential witness. Per the Rockford Advocate, the day after Veronica went missing, Doug recalled vividly something he had observed the day before. At around 11.45 p.m. on September 19, 1990, Doug was on his way to his third shift job at R&R Donnelly when he pulled into a gas station. There, he noticed an SUV with a camouflage paint job and a logo indicating it was a security vehicle for Woodhaven Lakes, a camping resort which was about 12 miles away. At that moment, he didn't think much of it. When Veronica vanished, Doug became fascinated with the case, as many did in the small town. He says, quote, I was talking to my mom about the boyfriend, and she mentioned his dad, that he was the head of security at Woodhaven, end quote. This is what Doug told Jim Haggerty. Doug pointing out that the presence in town of the security vehicle on the very night Veronica was last seen and the connection of the vehicle to remote property accessible by the Vervica family. Mm -hmm. Doug reported the sighting of the vehicle to the Mendota Police Department. This, again, investigator John P. Doug Trockenbrod became one of the Mendotans who embraced the whispered theories that Jeff had done something fatal to Veronica. 
The 2004 release of the police report highlighting Jeff's suspicious statements solidified him as prime suspect number one in the eyes of many, including Doug and Todd Bloomhurst, who did not try to hide the fact that he suspected Jeff of killing his sister. But when Doug took up the mantle from Todd in 2013 and began carrying out his promise to continue to pursue justice in Veronica's case, he started to unveil some startling information. His public pleas for people to come forward resulted in people starting to talk. And now, after 30 years, this case has been substantially advanced over recent months by his efforts. Doug spent years digging into the case and keeping his ear to the ground for rumors and information that could be helpful. And someone who wished to remain anonymous came forward and told him some interesting information. The local source had heard that, quote, Veronica was strangled, possibly shot, wrapped in a blue tarp and dumped over the west side of a metal bridge in Knox Road near Bartlett Woods. This area was near the part of the nature preserve that had already been searched, but the source said the search area needed to be expanded. They didn't search far enough. This bridge is about three miles from the Vervica property, and per the Jim Haggerty series, early searches had focused on a small area northeast of Knox Road between Hankel Road and Big Bureau Creek, about three miles from the town of Sublet, Illinois. The preserve had been searched in 2012 with cadaver dogs and searches organized by Todd based on psychic evaluations of the case. Now, the source says, police continued west. If they would have continued west, they would have likely have found clues about 475 to 500 yards downstream near a creek belly that's about 10 to 12 feet deep. Mm -hmm. This is a tributary of the Illinois River. I cannot say within feet, but she's either in the belly of the creek before the 90-degree bend or around the area of the hay bales next to it, possibly even under them, the source said. If they search in that area... They would either find her remains in the water or some sign of her buried near there. The source also said he believed that a gun was used to kill Veronica, and this gun was disposed of in a creek in Mendota in 1992 by a woman who had received the gun from someone else. So, this does not sound like a murder committed by a controlling boyfriend to me in a crime of passion, who then panicked and hid her body. This might sound like someone getting rid of Veronica in a methodical killing. Mm -hmm. Someone who knew what he was doing and who had knowledge of how to dispose of a body. This is where we have to look into the idea of did the police bungle the investigation or is there a cover-up? Because this case is one of those in which it is easy to see why people believe that there was some kind of police cover-up. Either the Mendota Police Department, mm -hmm. a small-town force with zero experience investigating disappearances and possible homicides, was borderline incompetent, or it was the typical story of a bad seed cop who was, at least to a certain extent, sheltered by some of his own. There is some evidence for this latter theory. Right. It has more legs than you're giving it. When Veronica went missing, the Mendota police collected some of her personal items. Mm -hmm. As we said, a toothbrush, hairbrush, and bedding from her room. Of course, potential sources of DNA, but no one knows where any of these things are. So is that somebody removed these items from police evidence or did they just screw it up? The other thing you have to think about too is Veronica's car and garage, the area surrounding the garage. This was never processed when she went missing. Right. Was this on purpose or was it just all she's missing? We think we'll find her. There's no need to search for footprints. 
or tire tracks or hair or any type of other evidence that could have been found at the time. But why a conspiracy? Why a conspiracy? Yeah. Why are they covering up? Well, I don't know that I would go as far to say that the entire police department would be covering this up. Right. And to me, you might only have to have one person covering their own tracks. So not a conspiracy at all, just really one person manipulating everything to remove themselves as a potential suspect. Right. Despite the small town nature of the police force and the inexperience of its officers in handling these types of cases, the MPD repeatedly turned down requests from the Bloomhurst family to call in investigative assistance from the Illinois State Police. Was this because they were certain that Jeff was their man or because someone did not want an outside agency meddling in the affairs of the Mendota PD. And of course, we have already covered that the police seem to have failed to record or properly transcribe Jeff's interview with all of his supposedly incriminating statements. Again, this is either small town incompetence or something much more sinister. So now 30 years later, Doug and others are calling into question the police placement of blame on Jeff recordings and transcripts that do not exist. That all seem to point to Jeff being the guy. That's the only red flag that goes up and circles itself around Jeff. And further, some of the things Jeff said, supposedly said made no sense. It really does not seem likely that he would have thought Veronica was pregnant at all. He knew all about her mono and her upcoming doctor's appointment for that ailment. Yeah. Veronica's family says they have proof that Veronica was not pregnant at the time that she disappeared. The only thing I have a problem with that is again, we don't know his the extent of his condition of memory loss. So is it possible that he did forget that she was sick? We also don't know. Again, it's, it's fool's gold, right? We, we have nothing to back up these supposed statements that he made to police other yeah. than the word of, of one man who should be in the circle of suspects in this case. So here's the thing about you. You talk about his memory loss. He had a, a motorcycle or a dirt bike accident when he was like 14 or 15. So this is something he had suffered for years before Veronica and him were even an item. Mm-hmm. One thing that's interesting, though, it emerged recently that on the day before Jeff was questioned by police on September 23rd, Jeff participated in the Bloomhurst family session with psychic Greta Alexander. She is the psychic that led them to search the nature preserve. In the course of this search, Greta mentioned that Veronica was hurt by someone in the course of an argument about her health or possibly a baby. She stated that Jeff's motivations were suspect. Jeff heard all of this as he was present and also privy to this psychic's observations was John P who the very next day would question Jeff supposedly enlisting comments about how maybe he went crazy thinking about her being pregnant. Mm. As we said, a cadaver dog search was eventually conducted of property owned by Jeff's family a year after Veronica went missing. Nothing was found. But but not the property his dad worked at. Correct. Of course, there are plenty of places to dispose of a body in the area. And it's not clear whether Jeff really has an alibi for that night. You know, was he at home watching a movie as he said? His mom said that he was home as well, but we know how those family member alibis can be erroneous. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, there is nothing whatsoever tying Jeff to Veronica's disappearance because it seems to me a little too good to be true that he just walked on into the police department and basically offered up all of those semi-incriminating statements. Clearly, he did not offer up a full confession because he was never charged 
never arrested, never named publicly as a person of interest. But didn't he also get rid of his car like pretty early? I don't have any information about him getting rid of a vehicle. Well, so supposedly he gets rid of his vehicle. He was looking for a new vehicle before she went missing. But so she goes missing. He gets rid of it. And then he gets the same exact car as Veronica. And then he doesn't get a license plate for it. And she had something where it was like her initials, some lucky number or her initials. And then like her birth date or something. Mm -hmm. And he did the same thing. So got the same as that car and did this, the whole initial birth date type thing on the back of his car as well. Hmm. And it's kind of an odd car. Her car wasn't like, it was a Chevy Corsica. Right. But it wasn't like, uh, I don't think they were super popular. I don't know much about the, the vehicle. I always thought of Corsicas as a pretty common vehicle back in the early nineties. The weird thing too, is their initials are very similar as well. Mm -hmm. Now, Jeff was Mandota PD's focused from, from day one, day two, however you want to argue it. That's clear. Doug Trockenbrod does not mince words about Jeff's supposed involvement. He says, quote, I think he was manipulated into saying what he did in the police report. And once he lawyered up, the person who killed Veronica was free to fumble along and destroy any trails he himself left. Furthermore, not only might Jeff have been railroaded, but there may have been someone else who was responsible for what happened to Veronica. There was one more person reported to be in the super value store on the night that she vanished. According to the Rockford advocate series, a source has indicated that an unnamed man was in the Dempsey's super value on Veronica's last night there for about 30 minutes, but purchased nothing. He left the store at 1139 PM. The presence of this man in the store did not appear in any of the police reports and he was never questioned. What does this have to do with Veronica and her still being missing 30 years later? Family spokesperson Doug Trockenbrod says that his team of citizens just like himself who have been sleuthing around Mendota uncovered evidence that Veronica kept certain things about her personal life private and that they may have contributed to her disappearance. Mm -hmm. And Doug has a theory about who this man at the super value may have been. Apparently there were reports from several independent sources that Veronica was seeing another guy on the side unbeknownst to her family and certainly unbeknownst to Jeff. And this man may have been a police officer. Per the Rockford Advocate, quoting family spokesperson Doug Trockenbrod, quote, We are looking into details about that reported relationship. It may have been going on for some time before her disappearance. What we are fairly certain of is that this man Veronica was seeing was married. He was someone who was familiar to her and not someone she had recently met. Apparently, Veronica also knew this man's wife. The rumors are that she had tried to end things with Jeff in order to be with this other man, although these may have just been that rumors. Right. Okay, so this could be far-fetched, right? The... Bloomhurst family does not seem to endorse this theory, even though the spokesperson seems to. Mm -hmm. According to Carolyn, Veronica's sister, who spoke publicly for the first time earlier in 2020, Veronica was not a duplicitous person. She was not capable of hiding things that were going on with her. Again, we talked about the possibility of Veronica being an open book. She says that she was one of those people who wears her heart on her sleeve. Carolyn does not believe that Veronica would have been cheating on Jeff with a married man. She and Jeff have been, they were discussing marriage, as we said, and she seemed to be happy with Jeff at the time. Right. Carolyn also says 
if she had been seeing someone else on the side, she would not have been able to hide it for very long. Now, on the other hand, Carolyn did reveal to Doug that things were not all as it seemed with Veronica and her relationship with her family. She and her mother did clash, and she had a little bit of a wild streak. It is not at all clear what Doug is referring to when he says Veronica was hiding things because those things have not been made public. Right. But maybe there was a side of Veronica that her family didn't know about, including Carolyn, her sister, who didn't live with the family at the time of the disappearance. Well, and didn't live with her for quite a while. So give a couple years and, and she's a little, and Veronica was getting a little older. Here's where things go off the rails. The sources who were telling Doug that Veronica was seeing a married cop, they even provided Doug with a name. The married boyfriend was a cop who lived right across the alley behind the Bloomhurst family. Mm -hmm. This person would have had a full view of the Bloomhurst garage and from his property. This married cop was also seeing another neighbor on the street which this woman admitted to later. In other words, this 20-something cop was a womanizer. Carolyn later said that this cop would stare at her and her sister as they went in and out of the yard, Mm -hmm. and that it made them feel very uncomfortable. Who is this guy? Don't squeeze your beer cans too tightly. Or your testicles. The married cop, who was alleged to have been in some kind of relationship with Veronica, was John P., Officer John P., (laughs) the one who lived right behind her house and was the first on the scene that day when Jeff reported her missing, the one who was in charge of the investigation into her disappearance, the one who focused the blame on her boyfriend in his police report, the one who possibly deliberately messed up the examination of her car and who may or may not have seen to it that her personal possessions with her DNA on them, went missing from the Mendota police station. Mm-hmm. F- yeah. Go ahead. The, what I heard at first, I didn't actually hear about this idea that Veronica had a, a intimate relationship with the police officer. The idea was that he would have been coming home. You know, he, he was married. He, he, he had his wife at home. He was coming home from the neighbor's house that he, um, was having an affair with and somehow got caught by Veronica and, you know, made her go missing. So he didn't get busted. That was the first that I heard. That's an interesting theory too, because either way it's presenting a theory where the two officer, John Mm -hmm. and Veronica had some other type of a relationship that wasn't just, we we're neighbors, right? That either Veronica had some dirt on him or she was involved with him. Well, and give a reason for them crossing paths that night. Right. Yeah, so I'd like to know what his alibi was. So it seems like something out of a movie, something fake, something unreal. But what makes this crazy tale somewhat believable is that the sources who told Doug about the relationship between John... Officer John and Veronica, whatever, again, whatever the nature of that relationship was, Doug says that these were law enforcement officers that told him this, right? that there was some, some kind of relationship. These were guys in the area of law enforcement groups who knew John. One of them also knew the police chief at the time, Ken Hahn, who apparently also suspected John. This crazy story appears to have some legs to it. Some hairy legs. Some hairy, disgusting spider legs. Dirty legs. One way that this story would make sense without Veronica being someone completely foreign to her family, someone who would would date a married police officer, betray her boyfriend, and, and behave in ways that her family and friends found unbelievable is if John made up the whole thing. Okay, This guy was a known womanizer and creep whose illicit relationships ended up ending his marriage. Mm -hmm. And remember, Carolyn said he would watch girls from his own yard across the way in a creepy fashion. So what I'm getting at here, Captain, is it possible 
that maybe Officer John bragged to some of his cop buddies about relationships with women that he was not, in fact, actually having. Yeah, or did he prey on weaker individuals and possibly it wasn't as consensual as he made it out to be? And that's where you go with this thing, right? What if in some weird way he's bragging to his cop buddies, hey, that 21-year-old good-looking girl over there, me and her are a bit of a thing, but in reality, he's stalking her. Yeah, or, yeah, sexual fantasy. Or, again, he he might have sexually assaulted her. Maybe he raped her. And like we said, he he's somebody that's in the area that would have had knowledge of just, you know, not, not that she's gullible, but it would be an individual, like I said, a weaker individual that you possibly could control. Yeah, and you don't even have to dub her as gullible because for all we know, Veronica thought of Officer John as as most probably would as he's a police officer, he's a neighbor, maybe he's mm-hmm. a nice neighbor, maybe he's a nice police officer. When your dad is a part of the first responder family, cops are part of that. They're all good guys. And this guy might just be number one creepo could be a a wolf in sheep's clothing as they say Mm -hmm. so what if he pulls up that night a little after 1 a.m she's making her way from the garage up to the house as she did several times a week which he could see that from his house from his yard Mm -hmm. he pulls up in a vehicle or ask her to come over to his his yard or garage because the way that if if you view these on a map, the way that these two houses, they more so back up to one another, where it looks to me like the backs of the houses face one another. So the garages are closer to each other than the actual houses would be. Could he have asked her to get in his car and help him with something or talked her into some kind of ride? And then they're out somewhere. He tries a move on her. Things go wrong and he freaks out and does something bad. Mm-hmm. You can see the way that this would play out. The other thing, too, is if he was, in fact, the one that was in the store, in the super value store that night, in there for a half an hour and didn't buy anything, then it looks even more sinister. It looks like he was setting this up, he was stalking her, or they were, in fact, having some type of relationship. Was he just in there to, to chat and interact with her? Right. Let her know that he'd meet her at her car after she got off work or whatever. You mentioned earlier, and this is a bit of an aside, another potential conflict of interest in the case. And you find this typically in small towns. The current police chief, Greg Cullen, went on some dates with Veronica, but this is going to be way back in the day. You know, this case is 30 years old. Well, I wonder if he was the quote-unquote possessive guy. He was. He was the one that Carolyn said Veronica had told her that she was uncomfortable with Greg for whatever reason. He was either possessive Mm -hmm. or a bit controlling. Please keep in mind, this man was not the police chief back then. He He was very low on the totem pole and... um. Yes, he is. He went on to be a chief of police. But other than this little aside to it, it doesn't seem like there was much more to the story other than they went on a couple of dates. Veronica, for whatever reason, didn't really like the guy and she broke it off with him. Right. In December of 2019, Doug Trockenbrod announced that a civilian search was planned for the spring of 2020 near Knox Road and Big Bureau Creek about eight miles north of Mendota. The area is near the forest preserve that was searched previously. This is because the family stated in a release that they had received information that Veronica was strangled, wrapped in a tarp, and dumped over a Knox Road bridge into Big Bureau Creek near Sublet. This was the information from the source that we discussed earlier. The land that was subject of the upcoming search was private and the owner, a local farmer, he granted permission, but this search has been put off indefinitely thanks to COVID. Doug Trockenbrod stirred up enough movement 
flushing out sources who claim to have material information that the Cold Case Foundation, with its seasoned investigators, agreed to take on the case. Good for them and, and good for him. And based on all the suspicious findings and information, they have managed to get the case in front of the FBI, who is now actively working the case. Mm, got him. Well, good for us. We I helped raise a little money for the Cold Case Foundation in July to help those guys out. Good. So this is an active FBI investigation now, and we have seasoned investigators working this very cold case. It's 30 years. And, and by the way, I cheers you all, and I'll cheers you again. Cheers. So you have to wonder, is it possible that finally, mm -hmm. after 30 years, does Veronica's family, will they get some justice done? Hopefully, but it's it's sad that her brother didn't live to see the work that he started be finished. John P. left the Mendota Police Department about 14 years ago. He's currently retired, possibly living in Florida. It sounds like the FBI may want to talk with him. Veronica's family, via Doug Trockenbrod, still maintains the Facebook page called Remember Veronica Jill Bloomhurst. Started by Todd, her brother, to memorialize his sister and document her case. It is very active with updates on her case as well as links to Jim Haggerty's series and posted regularly. One thing I like about this case is that I feel within the last two hours that we have said the three most likely suspects in this case. Mm-hmm. I think that Jeff, he's an interesting one. I think that former officer John P is very interesting as well, as well as the creep guy that was going into the super value store two or three times a week to just bother the female employees and dress the women with his eyes. Yeah. I mean, who's to say he didn't follow her home or had not followed her home before. Mm-hmm. And she, having spoke with him many times, just thought, oh, he's a nuisance, but he's harmless. Right. And she went over to talk to him or got in the car for any number of reasons. I think that what we have here, Captain, is a trail that doesn't lead specifically to any of these three. Really, all we have is the supposed incriminating statements that Jeff made to Officer John P. behind closed doors. What we also have is the rumors that makes John P have some kind of different relationship, be it either Veronica had dirt on him or they were involved somehow. And then just the suspicions of the coworkers of this creepo guy coming in a couple times a week. El creepo. It's really sad because until she is found, there's nothing left to work on at the moment. So I hope and pray that this search gets underway and that they do find something to lead them to her and possibly lead us to the actual person that did this. One thing that I call into question here and would love to know is the actual time of events and how they were supposed to go down once it was known that she was missing. And what I mean by that is when was it discovered that Jeff and Veronica were going to have lunch that day? Was it just that day when he called and all of a sudden he discovers that she's missing? Right. Oh, by the way, we were going to have lunch. Or did, you know, did Jeff know about the, what time the doctor's appointment would be? And did he magically time up that call perfectly to her father shortly after the doctor's office called? Mm-hmm. And, really, and it's hard to say, looking back 30 years ago, what the actual events were supposed to be in their order and the times that they were supposed to happen, because I think that could shed a little more light on what category to put Jeff in in this case.
again, thanks for listening. Uh, thanks for the support. If you're looking for our old episodes, we have over 400 episodes to check out, and you can do so for free on the Stitcher app. And if you're looking for even more, we have over 100 of our bonus show called Off the Record, and that's on Stitcher Premium. Do we have any recommended reading for this week? This week we are recommending Tantamount, The Pursuit of the Freeway Phantom Serial Killer by Blaine Pardo and Victoria Hester. We have recommended this awesome true crime writing duo before. These two great authors are putting out some really fascinating cold case true crime stuff. So you'll want to check out Tantamount and other great recommendations at our website, truecrimegarage.com. And while you're there, one thing I've been doing at my house, Captain, I have the beer fridge. I like to put a lot of stickers on my beer fridge. Pick you up some True Crime Garage stickers yeah. and decorate your beer fridge. And go with the Super Pack. If you if you buy Pack 1 and Pack 2, cost you a little more money. Go with the Super Pack. You get them all. A little discount there for you. And until next week, be good, be kind, and don't litter. Capella University is rethinking higher education. With their game-changing FlexPath format, you can earn your degree on your schedule, so you can fit education seamlessly into your life. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.